You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Megan Turner. Good morning! Merry Christmas! One week left. We've got gifts to get together, things to do, family coming to town. Are y'all, the, are y'all done? Yes, no, yes. Where are my no people? Yeah, um, I got to feel you. Uh, I'm getting there. I, you know, it's fun because I love to do gifts for people, and uh, I'm trying to get it. This is what I, I can't see, y'all. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, so I, you know, I'm going to say this in code because there are a few kids in here. I feel like you win some and you lose some when it comes to gifts. Like you don't quite always know if you get it right or you don't. And so they're um, one that a close friend of mine, Santa Claus, got wrong this week was um, I told originally we told Santa at the Turner house that we weren't doing the elf this year because my children make plenty enough mess. I don't need an elf coming to make. And so until our kids can do a great job cleaning up their own mess. I was like, we're not going to bring someone in that makes more of a mess. And so um, I guess Santa had a different idea. So he brought an elf that doesn't make a mess. And the elf brings things, and, and she's great. Her name is Zebra. Um, but Santa had a really creative idea for night one. And so she came, and she brought some children. She's had babies. Our elf has had babies. And, um, and, and Santa was like, this is incredibly creative, right? Santa's a, a creative fella. And so she brought a note, Zebra brought a note saying, I brought my babies that I've recently had, thinking that you, you girls would like to meet them and see them. And they were peeps, but they were Christmas peeps, like snowman peeps and these little chick peeps, but they were like red and, and green. And Santa put in the note, um, you know, my name is Zebra, and my baby daddy is the Easter Bunny. And um, thinking, like, you know, like the mom and the Easter Bunny and the elf and, like, the, um, they had peeps, Christmas peeps. And I'm not forgetting that recently I have young teenagers, so the, the, the talk is still fresh on their mind. And so Santa didn't think about how awkward it would be when the note was read out loud. And the 12-year-old was like, Mom! And I was like... Was it me? It was Santa. Why would Santa say? It's so weird. And Santa thought it was going to be so creative and fun, um, but it was awkward. It was awkward because um, they were eating the peeps while the. So they were like, "Wait, we're eating her baby." I don't know. So I didn't get that. He didn't get Santa. Didn't get that one right um, with sending her. But she's been great since then, and she's said fun. So hopefully Santa will get things together by next Sunday. Um, I, I, gifts are an interesting part about, about Christmas, and I want to talk to you this morning about the gift of Christmas, and if I could just do a little paradigm shift when we think about the, the gift of Christmas. So um, I know we've all, most of us, I'm not a movie person, but I really enjoy Christmas movies, and I love the Grinch, you know, when he's like, gifts, 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 and the reality is the Grinch is just, he's had a hard life. And he's, he's been dealt a hard hand. And so his heart is hardened and he's cold. But I love how Cindy Lou decides that what he needs is her. 
right? She, he needs her unconditional love. And so she just puts that all out on the line with the Grinch. And she's going to do whatever it takes to let him experience who she is. And because of that, as they say in Whoville, that the Grinch's heart grew that day three times. And so I love, I love that kind of story. And I want to read to you a scripture that I think explains to us why and what a transition like that looks like. Um, and I think when I first read it to you, it's kind of like a gift. You have no idea. But when you start to open it up, you really see what all is there. So I'm going to read to you from 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 and 2. And it says this. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which was overflowed in rich generosity. Now, to me, when you first read that, it doesn't make a lot of sense. They're being tested by many troubles. They are extremely poor, but yet they are filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. Now, I'm no math major, right? But if you were to take that concept and put it in a math equation, I think that I could figure out that those things added together wouldn't equal overflowing generosity. So if you were to add being extremely poor with having a lot of troubles with abundant joy, the the equation is not enough to equal overflowing and rich generosity. So in order to understand this verse better and why that would be happening, I'm going to give you a little bit of a backstory. So Jesus comes onto the scene. Jesus is born. He lives his 33 years here on earth. At the end of the 33 years, he dies on a cross in place of you and I. He is put in the ground, and three days later, he's resurrected, comes back to life. He's here for 40 days after he is resurrected, before he goes back to heaven. And during this 40 days, he is meeting with his disciples and the people that are closest to him. And he, he tells them about this kingdom of heaven. He says, I'm going to go back to heaven, and I want all of the children, I want all of my people to be in heaven with me. So your job after I go is going to be to get people and tell them about me and tell them what I did. He said, but the thing is, because I want it to be such a long period of time, we are living now in what is called like the grace period. So it's been a lot longer than the life of the disciples. And so as many people as possible can come to know Jesus, know what he did on the cross, accept him so that they can be in heaven with him. That is God's heart. So he tells the disciples, because this period of time is going to last longer than you will, you need to set up the church so that it can then continue to tell people about me after you're gone. He says, now I know that that can be hard, so I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will come and will fill you, and it will overflowingly fill you. And when it comes, that will be what you need, your tool to help tell people about who I am. So sure enough, 40 days later... Jesus goes to heaven, and exactly seven weeks from the day the resurrection happened, what the Bible calls Pentecost happened. And this is when the Holy Spirit comes and fills God's people. And, y'all, when this thing happens, they are on fire for God. I mean, they, they, cannot, they cannot contain themselves. The boldness to go out and to share about what Jesus did, it's exploding all over the place. I mean, like Peter would sit in front of 5,000 people at one time, and they would all give their heart and come to know Christ at one time. So this thing is really happening. And so they, they're, a few years after this, there's a guy by the name of Paul. And he has a totally 
off the charts, incredible experience with the Lord. He's walking this way, persecuting Christians, super corrupt, has an experience with Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and his life has turned completely 180. And now he's become a missionary to the non-Jewish people. And he's setting up these churches to tell them all about who Jesus was. So he's setting up in churches places like Macedonia and the church in Corinth, which is actually a letter. He's writing the letter to the church in Corinth, and he's telling them about another church. And so it would be kind of like um, if he, it was like Mount Pleasant and Somerville and Charleston and Columbia, you know. And, and he started churches and all, and he's telling the church in Columbia about what's going on in the church in Mount Pleasant. Does that make sense? And he's like, you're never going to believe what's happening in this church in Macedonia. He's like, they literally have got all, they have, they're being tested with troubles. They're poor. They have overabundant joy, and they're rich in generosity. And so he's telling them, and so here is why. Here's, I'm going to read the next few verses so you can figure out why that church in Macedonia is so blessed. Are you ready? I'm going to read the first two, then Adam. So they're being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, but they're also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. Now watch this. This is what he says. For I can testify, I can tell you, I can tell you this story, I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believer in Jerusalem. So the believers in Jerusalem is one of the churches. And now when you think about this whole thing, all of these churches that were started so that the news of Jesus could continue... It started in Jerusalem. And in that church is where everything started bubbling out from the church over here and came, the church over here came. And what the people in Macedonia realized is, I have something in my life. I have this thing inside of me. I have Jesus because of that church in Jerusalem. And now this church in Jerusalem has come under terrible persecution from the Roman government. And so the church in Macedonia is sending them all that they have to take care of them because they recognize I have, we have a gift that we could never pay back to that place. What I have in my life, you know, like when someone's truly grateful and you realize they've, they've got it. It's the gift of understanding I've been given something that I could never, ever pay for. It's this, this deep gracious, indebted, humbled for what they did. That's how the church of Macedonia feels for the church in Jerusalem. And so because they are so in touch with what was given to them, they are begging to continue to give to the church in, in Jerusalem. Actually, they're, they are supporting their own church in Macedonia, so they're doing their tithes to support their church. And now this, what they're gathering and scrounging and getting together to send, is above and beyond what it takes to take care of their own church in Macedonia. And so th that's the kind of joy. That is why the equation makes sense, because it's not physical. It's spiritual. It's supernatural. When you tap into realizing, I, there is a gift that has been given to me that I could never pay back, and it has so abundantly blessed me that it is bubbling up out of me. It kind of reminds me whenever my husband gave his life to Christ, he grew up in a church where his dad was a very consistent tither. Um, his dad gave 10% consistently, didn't miss. And so Luke understood the discipline of tithing. But whenever Luke gave his life to Christ, it was so drastically changed. 
And he, he, would, he would say, there's no way you could keep me from ever giving my 10%. When I look at my life and I realize how abundantly blessed I am, and I look at my wife, and I look at my children, I look at the joy, I look from being hopeless to being filled with hope. I have a purpose, I have a plan, I have an eternity. And now the Bible says that this is my way, my 10% is the way that I physically get to show God how much I appreciate what he's done for me. Not only do I do it because it's a discipline, but now he's like, you can't stop me. It is the biggest blessing, God, that you gave me a way to give back to you. And then on top of it, you take my 10% and with the 90, you bless me more with the 90 than the original 100 ever could have gone. And so now, now tithing for him, for Luke, was, it, is, it was exciting. I mean, I remember it was almost like an addict. Like he, he had one and then he wanted to give more. And he realized, I, I am giving because there's something that has been given to me that is so greater than what I ever could pay back. It's just bubbling up outside of me. And it honestly, when it reminds me of this song um, that we sang earlier, of all that he's done. And it's hard sometimes when we are at Christmas and things are busy. And honestly, it's hard when life is does have hardships. But the song that we sing during worship, I want, Jeffrey, if you can just start to play that. And I want you just to take a moment outside of the hustle and bustle. I just want you to take a minute and think about what he's done for you. Like what, what the Church of Macedonia, the way they just lived in a place of gratefulness. What he's done. All the glory and the honor to the sun. And when he took your place, that cross was for me and you. You know, a lot of us carry around guilt, shame. But you'll have to. He wants that too. The family that we have. For the freedom he has won. Just think about it. Just sit on that for a minute. Even death is dead. What he's done. His life has overcome. Speak. Say the name above all names. Over every broken place. He is risen from the occurred to you that that you too are the gift I mean scripture tells us that Jesus came to be an example and so the example of giving his life is also for you to see that the example of what he wants back for you from you is just you just how you are broken imperfect all that you too are the gift back for Christmas, we all go to my mom and dad's. Me, my husband, 
our three children, my sister, her husband, there are four children, my cousin, who is my brother, with his wife and their three children. That is a lot of people. And we go for days. Like, we don't, and like, we show up, and like, we don't bring food. Like, we just show up with the whole crew. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner is there. Snacks are there. All the kids' favorite stuff, like, this kid likes macaroni, this kid likes chicken nuggets. We've got one kid that likes garlic toast, so there's tons of garlic toast in the freezer. Everybody's favorite coffee creamer. It's all there because they are so incredibly excited for us, right? I mean, am I wrong? I think they're excited. They act like they're, they, they act like they're thrilled. That's how he is about you. That you're his gift. And when you realize that your life is something that he wants, and that thing really sinks down on the inside of you, I'm the gift. I'm the gift. I'm the gift. And that thing builds up in you. And when you really start understanding that, that thing bubbles up out of you. And that's what he needs because there's a lot of people out in this world that have no idea this Christmas season that they are the gift. Have no idea. And so just like the churches back then in Macedonia and in, in Jerusalem, there's something that needs to bubble up out of us to where we get it, to where it explodes to the people around us. But sometimes in order to do that, we've got to refocus on the fact that we really are worthy of being a gift. It reminds me a lot of the movie. Have you guys ever seen It's a Wonderful Life? It's my dad's favorite Christmas movie, so we watched it every year. And it's a great Christmas movie, and it's about a man named George Bailey. And George Bailey grew up, and he had this dream of going to New York City and building really big towers and, and bridges and really leaving a life of legacy. It was a really big deal to George to leave, make an impact. And George was raised in a way where you just took care of other people. You did for other people. You put other people first. It was just part of who George Bailey was. Um, but he didn't end up going to New York City. He actually ended up right there at his hometown, Bedford Falls, and almost um, felt like life was like a cage that he never got to live. He worked for a, um, for a building bridge company that local in town, and he really just felt like his life was a complete failure. Um, he, was, he was real frustrated, and um, he felt like his car was an old piece of junk. His house was run down. He was just kind of bummed out with not having much of an impact in life. And then one day, by no fault of his own, um, the bank shows up like $10,000 short. And so they're going to send out a warrant for his arrest um, because of the short of the money. So he leaves the office and he goes home and he's just frustrated. And his frustration bubbles out off of the top and he gets blows off on his wife and his kids. He just blows up and it's a, just a huge mess. And so then he takes the one thing that he has, which is an insurance policy, and he goes to the bank, Mr. Potter, the banker, and he says to Mr. Potter, is there anything that I can get for this, trying to get rid of the debt? And Mr. Potter looks at the insurance policy. It's a whole life insurance policy. So as long as George Bailey is still living, there's not even worth the paper that it's on. So Mr. Potter looks at George Bailey, and he says this. George Bailey, you're worth more dead than you are alive. And that thing drops down on the inside of George. And that, that becomes the loudest voice in his head. So George decides to go to a bridge. He's going to end it all. And the Lord, unbeknownst to George, sends an angel by the name of Clarence. Now, Clarence doesn't look like an angel, so George thinks he's just a regular guy. 
And he says to Clarence, as they're talking through it, he says, Clarence, I wish I would have never been born. So Clarence is like, hmm, that just might work. So he says, okay, George, so you wish. So they head back into town. George's not realizing what's happened, and he walks in to what he knew as his original town as Bedford Falls, and it's not even Bedford Falls. It's Pottersville, the corrupt banker, you remember? And George is like, what in the world, Clarence? And he said, well, George, you were never here to keep things fair and balanced, and so Mr. Potter took advantage of the whole town. And now the town is made up of dance halls and bars and casinos, all of it funding back to Mr. Potter's pocket. So then George takes off to his home, and it's just torn down and completely dilapidated, and it's not, there's nothing left. And he says, well, what about my home? And he says, well, George, you were never here to fix it up. And he said, and speaking of your home, George, your wife Mary, man, the vibrant, full of life Mary that you know, that's not at all who she is. Life has been hard to her, George. She's a recluse and a librarian. She never married. And by the way, those three kids you love so much, George, they were never even born. And George's mother and his, his uncle and even Ernie, the taxi cab driver, and all these people in town, they all have this heaviness and darkness on them. And George realizes in that moment that the one thing that made the difference in all of these people's life was the gift of who he was. He softened the blow for so many people. He did have a legacy. And so in that moment, he begs God, God, please, please, would you give me an opportunity? I get it. I get it. He discovered that his life was worth more than he ever realized. So take a look at what happens when George realizes his value. Take a look. Parents! Clarence! Help me, Clarence! Get me back! Get me back! I don't care what happens to me! Get me back to my wife and kids! Help me, Clarence, please! Please! I want to live again! I want to live again! I want to live again! Please, God, let me live again! <laughs> Hey, George! George! You all right? Hey, what's the matter? Now, get out of here, Bert, or I'll hit you again. Get out of here. What the Sam Hill are you yelling for, George? You... George? Bert, do you know me? Know you? <laughs> you kidding? I've been looking all over town trying to find you. I saw your car piled into that tree down there, and I thought maybe you... Hey, your mouth's bleeding. Are you sure you're all right? What you... Christmas Emporium! Merry 
Christmas, you wonderful old building and loan! In jail. Go on home. They're waiting for you. <laughs> Mary! Mary! Well, hello, Mr. Bank Examiner. How are you? Mr. Bailey, there's a deficit. I know, $8,000. George, I've got a little paper. I'll bet it's a warrant for my arrest. Isn't it wonderful? I'm going to jail. Merry Christmas. Reporters, are... where's Mary? Mary! Oh, look at this wonderful old drafty house. Mary! Mary! Mary, have you, have you seen my wife? Mary, Mary is Daddy. 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 Kids, Pete. Oh, oh. Kids, Janie, Janie, Tommy. Oh, let me look at you. Oh, I could eat you up. Where's your mother? She went looking for you with Uncle she... Billy. Daddy. Zozo, Zozo, my little ginger snap. How do you feel? Bye. Not a smidge of temperature. Not a smidge of temperature. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hello. George. George, Mary. darling. Where Mary. are you? George, darling. Where are you? Oh, George. 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 Oh, let me touch you. Let me touch you. Are you real? Oh, George. 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 Come on in here now. Now you stand right over here by the tree. Right there. And don't move. Don't move. What's happening? Oh, I hear them coming now. George, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Who's going to come, Daddy? Who, Daddy? Come in, Uncle Billy. Everybody. In here. George. George, Mary did it. She told yeah. some people you were in trouble with it. They scattered all over town collecting money. Didn't ask any questions. Just said, George, in trouble. Tell me. What is this? Uh, like it spread like spread. Another run on the bank. Here I, George. Merry Christmas. There we are. The line farm's on the right. heard about George's debt and knew that George had given them something that had blessed their life. So they were so cheerful to be able to come and pay the debt off. And they end up completely paying it off. And at the end of that scene, George's uncle makes the toast and he says, cheers to George Bailey, the richest man in Bedford Falls. Do you know why he was the richest man? Because he understood his value. You're so incredibly valuable. You know, we talk about this Christmas Eve production and one of my heart's, my heart's biggest passion is teenagers. And in this production this year, in the Christmas pageant, it's majority made up of kids. I think there's two or three adults in it. And let me tell you one of the most valuable things you will do on Christmas Eve is sit in this seat and watch them. I have a few of them that don't have any family that will come to watch. I had one of them make the comment, you know, some of people call this their second home, their home away from home, but this is my home. 
That's all I got. So you are the family. You will be who watches them. There's a place in Revelations and Jesus is talking about, they're talking about heaven and how there will be no more mourning and no more sorrow and no heartache and it'll be all joy and good times. But the problem is imperfect people can't get to heaven and we're all imperfect. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And he would like for you to accept that gift and give him back the gift of the broken you so that he can make you whole and be with you eternity. You too are the gift of Christmas. You're his gift. But have you ever thought, I've got nothing. It reminds me of the little drummer boy song. All of the kings are coming to see the baby and the magi are coming and he hears of these rich men that are coming and he wants to to see the king. He has nothing to bring. I'm a poor boy too. What, what can I bring? Have you ever thought maybe you too pull back because you're not sure that you have something valuable enough to bring? Has it ever occurred to you? Have you ever thought that? You guys can take a seat. I'm about to let you go. I want you to imagine something with me before you walk out the door, okay? It's Christmas time, all the hustle and bustle. You're at home and the doorbell rings and you open it and there stands Jesus. And he has the gift of him standing at the door. And so immediately you step back and you close the door and you're like, Wah. you know, when someone gives you a gift and you don't have anything. So now watch yourself rumble through the house and you're scrounging through the key drawer and all of the presents that you haven't wrapped and the ones you have to see what, could I give any of these? Could I give any of these? And you go to your closet and all your valuable things and you're safe. You look through it and you realize, standing upstairs, I have nothing, nothing I can give to him. So you walk back down, you open the door and you look him in the face and you say this, Jesus, I got nothing, I got nothing but me. And I want you to imagine the grin that comes across his face. And he looks you right in the eye and he says, that is all I want. You are all I want. And what I would love to do is if there's anybody in this room before we go into Christmas next week, they would say, Meg, I, I've never given back the gift of me and I've never received that gift. And you would like to do that this morning, right where you're sitting. I'm not gonna violate you or embarrass you in any way. But I'm gonna ask if everybody in the room would just close your eyes. And if you're online and this is you, I'm speaking to you as well. And balcony, if you just close your eyes and if there's anybody in here, that the equation doesn't add up, terrible troubles, sorrow, but you're missing the abundant joy and the overflowing generosity. And what I talked about with the church in Macedonia had and what Luke had and what a lot of people in this room had where something is bubbling up outside of them. And you say, Meg, I, I would like to ask Jesus into my life and give him my heart for Christmas. If that's you and you've never done that, if you would, while no one's looking, would you just slip your hand up right in your seat, right where you are? Okay. Someone at the balcony three in the balcony, four, five, 
six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Nobody look around, but there's a dad in here and him and his daughter just raised their hand together. It's gonna change your life forever. You can put your hands down. We're gonna is there anybody else before we say this prayer together? Anybody else in there? I don't wanna I don't we're not in a rush. Is there anybody else? what we're doing. We're going to say a prayer and we're going to say it all together as a congregation, as a family. But if you raise your hand and this is your prayer, okay? And this is you standing at the door and you're accepting what Jesus did on the cross and you giving your life back to him. So just repeat after me. Father God, this Christmas, I ask you to come into my heart to save me, to forgive me of my sins, to heal my brokenness, I believe what you did on the cross was for me. And I want to spend all eternity with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. <clears throat> okay, um, I'm gonna do this before we go. Last thing before we go, we're gonna, I'm gonna pray over our tithes and offering. And I just wanted to, wait till the end of service because I just wanted to take a minute and say this after this message. I always want to make sure that you guys are clear on the ones of you that that, shoot, that do tie that I don't, sometimes it can kind of just become what we do. And like for Luke and I, it's just drafted off the top of our paycheck. Like it's immediately taken out. And so I just want to take a minute, a moment this Christmas and just say, don't miss what you're doing when you do that. Don't miss the partnership that you are doing with Jesus, that it is the scriptural way that God says, what I've done for you, it is the physical way that bubbles up the appreciation out of you. So this offering, would you just take a minute, and for those of you that tithe, would you just say, God, thank you for giving me the opportunity to do this. Thank you for blessing my 90%. And thank you, thank you that I get to be in covenant with you. Because it is a big deal that we get to give. It is, when someone does for you, you want to do back for them. It's a handicapped feeling to feel like someone's doing and doing and you don't get to do back. So it is our way. So I bless you as you give today, whether that be online, at the door, however it is, I bless you as you give this Christmas, knowing that it is your gift back to him. And it is your covenant way of, of putting your finances under his umbrella. So I bless you with that in Jesus' name. Amen. As you give. You guys can stand up. I bless you this week with knowing that you are making an impact. Your life is a gift. And listen, when everybody says this, this season, you're gonna hear this. He is the reason for the season. He is the gift. And I want you to think this in your head. And so am I. And so am I. I am his gift. May the Lord keep you and bless you, cause his face to shine upon you. We will see you next Saturday at one, three, or five. Merry Christmas. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.